Are you struggling in your faith? Are you pretending you're happy but stuck in a spiritual rut? Are you tired of listening to famous pastors and preachers who make it sound so easy? Welcome to Broken Catholic, the number one Protestant and Catholic voice in America. I talk about the important things that nobody else is talking about, like how to align with God's plan for your life, because I believe this is where 90% of Christians get stuck. And I tackle the negative self-talk that we all secretly struggle with but won't admit. My guests are brave Protestants and Catholics who share their struggles, their fears, and their daily holy habits that help them win in their spiritual lives. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a broken Catholic and former atheist and a spiritual coach to Christian business owners and CEOs who are married with children. This show was created for you, the broken Catholic, who's pushing to get your spouse, your kids, and yourself to heaven. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you're just one surrender prayer away. Today, my featured guest is Lee Tran. He is a pastor for seven years, therapist for 13 years, business entrepreneur, and now oversees a practice of 30 therapists called Watershed Initiative. Now, he grew up in a non-Christian home. He was a believer at 19 years old. His greatest pains in life include broken family of origin, church split, and losing a child in the past four years. We're going to get into his story. We're going to get into what God has done in his life, what God is still doing, where he's resisting, where he's cooperating, just like you, BC Nation. You're fighting God. We all are. We all have that little control freak inside of us fighting for control of our lives and not giving it to God. You can find him at watershedinitiative.com, watershedinitiative.com. Lee, welcome to Broken Catholic, the number one podcast on iTunes for Protestants and Catholics. Go ahead and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, yeah, I would say that that covers the, the, the major chapter markers of my life from becoming a believer at 19 in, um, in college. Um, and really experiencing God through a ministry of, of, of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship then, and really being poured out into and feeling um, a sense of Christ-like compassion for the first time. Um, that's really what kind of transformed uh, my life and caused me to want to have a relationship with Jesus. Um, and then that really led me on a road to wanting to explore ministry. And in my context, ministry looked like doing counseling because um, I just really enjoyed the idea of sitting with somebody in a time of incredible difficulty and pain where change could happen. And that's such an honor for me as a, as a, as a believer, as a therapist to walk with someone in that time, to see God transform people right before my eyes. That's, there's nothing better than that. I love um, it. Okay. So I'm going to pause you right there. So yeah. before we go into your story, um, share something personal about you that very few people in your business life actually know. Gosh, I feel like I'm a fairly transparent person, so that might be a little bit hard, but um, I, th I think the only things that really give me a lot of heartache in life um, is when the church is divided and my Houston Rockets don't do well. 
<laughs> I'm a sports guy, and so there's uh, you can ask my family. They uh, they are the only ones that get to see me as angry as I really am and can be when I'm watching my Houston Rockets play. All right, so let's be transparent here. Moment of truth. Which one gets you more angry? The uh, the divisiveness in the church or when your team loses? I will say I would get more angry with my my, my team, but I shed tears over the church. <laughs> so okay, that makes any it. sense. <laughs> got it. Yeah, so one's anger, the other's like sadness. and Yeah, weird. yeah, absolutely. I, I get that. I get that. Okay, so let's go back to uh, that earlier time that you alluded to in your life where you felt compassion, God's compassion for the first time. In what area of your life did you feel compassion, need compassion and get compassion from God? So that gets a little bit into um, some of the brokenness from my, my family of origin growing up. Uh, I grew up in a home, as you mentioned, um, my parents weren't believers. They came during the Vietnam war in 75. And so I was born here in the States, but they came during the war. And so like many, many uh, immigrants during that time, just not parents, not really available, very much consumed with a lot of other things. And so I had very little relationship um, with my parents. Um, and so when I went off to college um, through the ministry of InterVarsity, I, I, I met a number of people, but particularly my mentor who really became my spiritual family and my mentor, my spiritual father. And that was the difference. Um, the first time I've ever felt care from the body that way. And uh, that, that transformed everything. From that point, I always thought this, this is what I want to do. It, people poured into me and I want to be able to pay it forward and pour into others because it makes a difference. So that's the kind of compassion I'm talking about, a real genuine love for brother and sister. Mm. I think it's fascinating how God uses us humans uh, to show his love, demonstrate his love. And, uh, you were a little boy who was starving for love at that time in your life, right? Yeah. Yeah. You didn't know it at the time. Most people don't, but yeah. So what I hear you say is you, you had a really good mask on. People couldn't see what you were feeling on the inside. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's human nature too. We all find ways to cope with pain in the most unhealthy ways until God digs deep and one way or another pulls it out of you, right? <laughs> for sure. For sure. So God brings this uh, mentor and family and surrounds you with human love. Uh, but you get to a, a taste, a glimpse of his love, his divine love. Um, were they uh, a family or people of faith? Is that how uh, you came to know God or was it before that? No, absolutely. There were, um, it was a, a community of believers, Jesus followers, um, and I'll be honest at, at first as a non-believer, as someone who didn't grow up in the church, it, it, it you know, words you out, like just what Christians will do. And, uh, and my first step into a church was in a charismatic church too. And so it was, it was a bit of a, a shock to my system, but you know, when, when people are willing to accept you and love you and to be compassionate and show God's love and to demonstrate through the spirit that way, um, it overcomes a lot of awkwardness and, uh, and, 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 and barriers, if I can put it that way. Mm, for sure. What was the weirdest part about your introduction to God initially? Oh, I mean, from a non-believer standpoint, there's just so many things. Like I remember my first experience of communion and people doing communion. I completely botched it. I had no idea what people were doing. Um, and as a Protestant, like everyone partakes, they don't ask you. <laughs> and, uh, and I took, I took the cup uh, because it was the first thing around. And then everyone told me, no, I can't. And so I, like, I, 
I, I, I, I didn't take the bread. And so I just had a cup in my hand with no bread and it was just a complete awkward experience. So there's all these traditions that happen in the Christian community that are just known to Christians, but for the non-believer standpoint, there's a lot of like, well, what, why do they do that for? <laughs> yes, for sure. Looking in from the outside, you know, to someone's family traditions, it's very easy to judge, right? Like, I don't get that. That seems weird. And then when you uh, walk in the house, so to speak, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, you walk in the house and uh, you really get who they are and you're like, wow, these people actually love each other. Wow. Yeah. These people are kind to me. And when I go out in the world, it's quite hostile. Um kind of nasty out there, how people treat each other. And here I feel welcomed. Here I feel loved. Here I feel what I've always wanted. So age 19, you become a believer. What was that defining moment for you? Was there a defining moment where you said, this is it. I want this. This I want to believe in Jesus. I want to spend the rest of my life dedicated to him. Um, where did that, where was that, that punch to the heart, so to speak? Yeah, I had spent the entire freshman year really exploring and asking questions. And, and, and to know me is to, to know that I am a, I'm a critical thinker. I'm a debater. And I, I researched, asked questions. I debated um, all kinds of ways. And finally, after a year, I remember sitting down with a pastor, explaining to him what my holdups were. And he said something to me that I think made the difference. And he just said, Lee, I mean, if you think about it like marriage, you'll never know when is a right time or the best time. You will never know all the answers until you make a commitment to be in a relationship. Will you understand who you are in a relationship with? And I was like, you know what? That makes a ton of sense um, because I'm holding myself back and I won't really know this God until I make a commitment to him to really know him. And so I made the decision at that point. That was a, the most reasonable and logical explanation to me I could ever hear at that point. And that's what did it for me. It's fascinating to me because the most reasonable and logical, logical explanation for you that got you was not an intellectual argument. It was right. a argument of the heart. Yeah. It was completely relational. Completely relational. And I think this, that's the, the shift for many people is when they get their head out of religion and get their heart into relationship and really make that shift what it, and what it's all about. So, wow, that's fantastic. Um, what was the biggest hurdle um, in making that commitment for you to really say, okay, I'm going to commit to this unknown God uh, and go all in without seeing him, without knowing if what they're saying is true or not, there's some risk there. There's serious risk there. Like what was the biggest thing perceived risk for you in making that leap of faith? Yeah. I think for me, it was not being foolish. I didn't want to make a decision just because everyone else was just because everyone around me was saying, hey, this is what you should believe. Like in my mind, I wanted it to be genuine. I wanted it to be personal, not just something that's to do or acceptable. Um, because I wanted it to be a real relationship. Um, 
And so the risk is that none of this is real. None, none of this is true. And there is no God. And then, and then I'm, I'm kind of left standing at the altar, so to speak. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's the step of faith to be able to say, you know, I do like I'm all in and I'm going to put my faith in the fact that you're there and you're here with me in a relationship for the rest of my life. So that was, uh, that was the biggest hurdle I think for me to overcome, not just mentally, but just really emotionally, you know? So saying I do to God, very marriage-like, uh, how did that pay off for you going forward? Oh man, I wish I could tell you it was great. <laughs> I think my, after I became a believer, my first prayer, and I still, still to this day, I like wonder what I was thinking, but I was like, God, I want to know you more. And so if I must be broken, break me so that I might know you more. <laughs> I remember thinking that and generally wanting that. And since then, that for the, the next three years was incredible breaking for me. A lot of my, um, my family history had to get dealt with. A lot of my, my codependent nature um, was being exposed. And it was as though God was tearing that from me, like uh, bending me um, throughout that entire process. And I remember that was my first taste of real being truly low, but at the same time being held through the process. And so I would, I would say that was my freshman year in college by senior year is when even the year after my senior year. So about maybe a three or four year process of God, just really refining that and, um, and, and uh, making, making it known um, what really following him would require. It would require me leaving behind a lot of things that, that would just keep me from being um, truly devoted to him, if I can put it that way. What was one of those things that was blocking you in going deep with God? Something you were dragging from your past into your future? I would say it was the need to feel like I was enough. Like that, that's a deep family of origin thing of, you know, I'm, I'm Asian. I have an Asian background. It's a very common Asian story that you could always get that extra two points on the test if you got a 98. Right. Um, so there's always this not good enough thought process. And I know it's common for a lot of people too, not just, not just me, but it was uh, letting go of trying to secure my worth by being good enough in whatever it was I was doing, whether it's school or work or relationships um, with, with people that I was dating. Like it was always this constant, I have got to prove my value to myself and to others. And that's just a, that's just a rabbit hole you don't get yourself out of. Um, and so that's, that's the one thing I felt like I had to surrender that and to say, okay, I, I, nothing I do is going to be sufficient. I've got to rest in the covering of Christ to know that in him I'm enough. And that's all that matters. And we say that, I think in our minds, our theology says, yeah, that's true. But when you really dig into the way we live life and the way we behave, how we interact and what we do, the decisions we make, I think for me, it was very clear that that's not always, that wasn't always the case. So I think that's definitely what had to be broken the most. Mm. Thank you for going there because you're right. We get that in our head intellectually, what we should believe, what we should feel, but then our life looks like a contradiction. Yeah. Sometimes I like to say it this way as Christians, as believers, 
we love God. We truly, truly love God, but we do not trust him. Yeah, I would agree with that statement. Loving is one thing. Faith and fidelity and trust is another. It really is. Yeah. We're afraid he's going to let us down. And that's why we're constantly taking back control of our life, isn't it? Yeah, I used to, I heard this analogy once, and I think it's appropriate that, that as a living sacrifice on the altar, we sacrifice our lives and in, in, in devotion to him. But as a living sacrifice, we oftentimes tend to want to crawl off that altar. Um, and, uh, and that's truly the case. We have the best of intentions. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? Yeah, well said. Well said. All right. So there's dying to self. That's what I'm going to call it. Dying to self that Jesus asked of you and self being not you. He wasn't asking Lee Tran to die physically, but he was asking Lee Tran to hang on a cross beside him. His woundedness, his hurts, his brokenness, his control, his agenda, his motives, his ego, his pride, self, die to self. What was that like going forward over the years? Like, where did you resist that surrendering, that dying to self? And where did you cooperate? What, what stands out? What's highlighted in your life that God has shown you? Well, I feel like that experience I just told you is maybe my first true breaking and kind of come to Jesus after I became a believer. And so then from that point, it put me on a trajectory for the next 10 years of like, my, Lord, my life is yours. And so that, that put me on the path to going to seminary, going into ministry, just really being open with God. My life is yours. You, you tell me to go, I'll go. And I've truly felt that that is what my heart posture was. My, 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 my desire was that deeply. Um, but then something happened. Um, as you'd mentioned four years ago, my, uh, one of my children died, passed away. Um, and it's funny when something like that happens, all your theology just goes out the window. Um, everything that you thought you knew is now questioned. And I think that the struggle that, that I experienced at that point was, Lord, I thought I was already devoted to you. I thought I was already all in, like you had everything. And I'm not exactly sure what an experience like this is meant to do. Because a lot of people will have like a come to Jesus moment where like, hey, everything, everything changed. And at that point, I gave my life to God, but it just didn't make sense to me. Like God had all of me. So I thought. Um, and, and so after, if I could jump in right there, yeah. What, what part of you did he not have yet that you were still holding back from him? I think it was my way and my understanding, my, my dream or my vision for what I thought God wanted from me in this world. Um, and if I could put it this way, like 
with every one of us, mine was in ministry, but every one of us has a certain dream. We have a certain way we, we think life ought to play out. And, and mine honestly was that I, I want to have a vibrant ministry and I want to have my, my family. I want to have my wife and my kids. And I, and then here's the thing. I remember this is, this is, this is kind of a God thing. And honestly, I'm a little bit like, it hurts a little bit to talk about, but I remember when I, when I first became a believer back in college and I made a decision to go into ministry, I remember thinking not, I didn't say it audibly, but I remember thinking in my mind, Lord, I will serve you. I will go wherever you call me to go. Nothing is held back, but please, Lord, just don't take my kids away. And I didn't even have kids then. I didn't, even, I wasn't, I wasn't married didn't have kids, but I remember thinking the worst pain that I could probably imagine feeling was that I would have to lose a child and thinking one day that I might have to give testimony to God's goodness from an experience like that. And I remember thinking, just don't do that. And so I live life like, you know, the next 10 years in ministry doing that, uh, having that kind of way back there. But I remember remembering that uh, one day and I was like, oh, I was so devastated about that because that's exactly the dream I had in my mind that God just kind of like, it didn't go the way in his, in, in his world and in, in his economy. Mm. So yeah, I think having to rethink what my belief of what that dream looked like is probably what I held back. And God's plans are not mine. And I have to be open to the fact that, shoot, anything can happen. Like whatever dreams I even have today, none of those are, are solid. They, it could be that I have more kids taken from me. I could have my entire ministry crumble. All these things are fully possible in God's economy. And I've got to be okay with that. Easy to say, difficult to do. Absolutely. God allowed. Pass on from this world into glory. But that leaves a wound behind for you, your wife, siblings, family. It's a lot of hurt. What did you do with that grieving? Yeah, I think um, I describe it this way. And there, my observation in grief, that kind of grief. And bear in mind, I'm, 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 at this point, I'm a therapist for like 10 years. So I, I kind of knew what, what the process of grief was supposed to look like, right? But this is the first time I'm like deep in it. And my observation from the inside out really informed um, a lot of what I understand the, uh, of grief today. And there's a, there's this tendency, I think, for people to fall into these two extremes. One is to fall into this deep pit of despair. And the other one, other extreme is to try to push forward and move on to the next thing. And I think there is a holy tension somewhere in between where if you can stay there long enough, then you learn things and you see things in ways that you've never seen before. Um, and so in the first few months after it was, it was hard. I was in that pit. It was hard for me to get out of bed. It was hard for me to even see people. Um, it was just my wife and I many times just sitting on our porch, weeping and praying and wrestling with God and being very honest and raw and saying things that most probably 
Christians would have a hard time hearing, let alone saying out loud. Um, but it is what we needed to do in order to be able to reconcile and to wrestle with God, um, with him and within ourselves. And, uh, and so I would say that that was the journey for their first few months and years. And, uh, and yeah, so that's, that's the way it looked at that time. Mm. I think you bring up really good extremes. Uh, it's been my experience as well with the people I get to work with. Uh, those tend to be the extremes, right? They suppress it down, push through it, busy themselves, become workaholics, bury themselves in the stuff, the to-do list so that they don't feel the pain. They numb it out. That seems to be the most popular approach. But they miss out on the growth. Yeah. Yeah, there are things, I I describe it this way. Um, I I used to say to people, it's like... um, if you're like um, on the surface of the water and you're like um, a scuba diver, if you're willing to endure the anxiety and the suffering, the pain of holding your breath and going down deep, at first it's entirely overwhelming and there's terror because you don't know what you're going to see. You don't know how long you can hold your breath. But if you do and your eyes begin to adjust to seeing what's down there, there's a number of things that can, yes, be very difficult, very painful, very terrifying, but opens your eyes to things that you'd not seen before. And I will say my, my relationship with the Lord has transformed. Um, again, it's not the way I thought it was, not even with the way I would want it, but it is, I, I would say, far deeper and far more real and authentic because I allow myself to, to submerge for longer to be able to see what's in there. And so, as you just said, pain is part of that process, but there's so much that can be learned and, and there's so much growth that's available to us if we do it. Mm, so good. Lee, I'm sure you'll, you'd agree with this uh, as a therapist, um, but push back if you don't. BC Nation, if you're in grief, I've done several episodes now on grief because it's a prison that the enemy locks many of us in. And God wants your freedom, right? So with grief... I believe you should experience that pain, sit with it, as Lee said, but put a time limit on it. And I think this is very, very important. I know people, I've worked with people that have been grieving the loss of a loved one for years and years and years. They're still in it. when in fact they didn't have to be in it that long, so to speak, right? Maybe it was a month was all they were meant to be in. Maybe it was a year. And this is just my opinion here, Lee, so push back, please. Uh, But it's case by case, of course, right? Depending on the loss and the person and their life experience. But typically it would be several months and, and I would just put a number, 90 days. Give yourself 90 days to grieve, or if it's less, and that's for a deep, deep loss. If it's less, it's a loss of a job, it's a loss of a career, it's a loss of something else, not a person in your life. Grieve for 30 days. Put a date to it. Ask God 
to show you everything he wants to show you in those 30 days. And then when that date and time comes, that 30-day mark or that 90-day mark, you surrender that grief to him and you get complete, whole and complete, where there's nothing left to learn from it. You, you came out the other side, so to speak. God wants that kind of freedom for every single one of his children. He does not want you dragging your grief into your future. He does not. That's a lie of the enemy. Like, oh, this is now who I am. That loss is part of my identity. I'm a, I'm a parent who lost a child. No, that's not who you are. That's what you went through. Those are two distinct things. Lee, what do you... What shows up for you in that? What do you agree with, disagree with, add to that? I definitely agree with the, um, the thought that there needs to be time bound. Um, you can call it seasons. Um, and everyone going through a season, if you, if you allow yourself to sit in a season and give yourself the freedom to do that, it allows you to be able to accept and move into the next season. I think, I think scripture is full of those types of, imageries and analogies and, and that sort of thing. Um, I, I think that the time frame, at least the way I see it is, is driven by how, um, how much one is able to draw out from those seasons, because in my mind, there's grief that is unbound. That is wasted pain. Meaning you can sit in pain and it just be pain. And that is, I don't believe what the Lord wants for any of us, but pain redeemed by God is transformative. Um, and I think so long as you're able to dive into it and be able to come out on the other side with learning, I think that is a deeply biblical and theologically sound um, posture to be in. I, I, the first thing that the most clear thing that comes to my mind is that when um when, when Easter comes around and Catholics and, and Protestants celebrate it in different ways, but the, there's, there's almost a sense of observation of the pain and the grief of, and the loss of, of, of Christ, his death, and to observe that and to allow that to be a moment on Good Friday, for example, for us in the Protestant world, to, to, to observe that. But then to be able to stay in waiting um, from Good Friday into Saturday and, and, and just waiting in that, that space in between. And then on Sunday to come out on the other end to be able to say, okay, there's a moment to rejoice and to be glad and to know that there's renewal and redemption. I think every once in a while, it's, it's, it's helpful to kind of dive back into that. And so in case in point, um, I'm, this is my fourth year being removed from the loss of my son. And we don't, we don't sit in grief every day. We used to, it would be very difficult not to, but Next week, we celebrate the fourth anniversary of my son's death. Um, it'll be a point of remembrance for us. We will go to um, the grave and that kind of thing and, and just remember him. And we'll, it'll be sad. And every time we do that, the point in my mind is remembrance allows us to be able to grow and to learn. That's how God expands us and, and challenges us. Um, and so I think if you sit in it well and you, you, um, you're able to draw from it, it allows you to be able to, to, to take advantage of the pain. Otherwise, it just becomes wasted pain, as I said. Mm. BC Nation, God uses pain to transform us, to stretch us, to grow us. 
to bring us further along in his plan for our lives, for your life. Don't let it be wasted. Put a time limit on it. Put a date to complete that chapter, that season, as Lee says, that crucifixion. But you must have an Easter morning. You must. God does not intend for his children to be in a lifelong crucifixion. He does say carry your cross daily. Yes. But there's also resurrection. Yeah. You must. You must. Give yourself the grace to experience resurrection after grief. And sometimes, BC Nation, maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like Lee. Sometimes you don't think you're worth it. You don't feel worthy of a resurrection experience after a loss, after grief. But God says you are. And his word is more powerful than yours. So deal with it. Bring it to him. Lee, thank you so much. I really uh, enjoyed just that conversational journey with you. And you got real and raw, transparent. And BC Nation, something Lee brought up, which I, I believe is very heroic, that he did, his wife did, they did together, which, by the way, means he was a very good spiritual leader in his home during that season of grief. He and his wife went to God with real, raw, angry prayers. He didn't go by himself. He didn't ask her to do it, and then he went and suppressed it. But he led her together uh, to God in real relationship. Because, see, we have this thing, I think. Lee, tell me if you agree. We have this thing where we think relationship with God should be like our ideal relationship with a human. It should be all romance and no hurt. It should be all pleasure and no pain. When in fact, that's not real at all. Like we celebrate and we grieve with our friends, don't we? So why wouldn't we celebrate and grieve with our God? We're meant to do both. So don't get ever get stuck in one. If your relationship with God is always celebrating, 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 and then keeping the grief away from him, and you just punish yourself with it, well, that's not, that's not real. That's not what he wants. Bring the grief to him. But if you're constantly stuck in grief and not bringing the victories and the celebrations to him, well, that's not what he wants either. Bring both. That's what life looks like. Wedding parties at Cana and deaths of Lazarus. Yeah. Jesus showed us how. What shows up for you in that, Lee? And then we're going to wrap up this show in a bow. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think the tendency for us to want to segment our lives, to silo our experiences, to, to keep our relationships with whatever perceived notion of what our best face is or what our best foot forward is, is I think a killer for not just a spiritual relationship with God, but for community as well. Um, community and church, marriages, all that stuff. And so definitely um, my marriage is deeper and richer because my wife and I did that together. Um, my community is deeper and richer because I, I invited and included a, f a few key people to walk that journey with. 
and my relationship with the Lord is deeper and more profound as well. Um, and I'll share this as well. This is because we're talking about a Protestant and, and Catholic um, connection here. I remember in the first few weeks after uh, my son died, Aaron, he, uh, the, a friend of mine, this pastor was talking me through theologically, like, how does this fit? I don't get the way God works. And he said something to me and I, and I still carry it to this day. He's like, you know, we in the Protestant church like to try to put God in a box. We like to try to think if we study the word enough and we learn enough that maybe we'll be able to have all the answers to what God is and why he is and all this stuff. And he says, I really appreciate the Catholic and the high church traditions because there's a certain mystery of God, um, a, a, a bigness, a vastness of God in Catholic traditions that basically say, you don't know him. You can't know him. And that was so comforting to me to be able to say, you know what? Jesus is near and he's my friend, but don't get mistaken here. He is far greater and in many ways, not safe um, to be thinking that you could predict him or understand him. And, and I think that that transformation has led me to a more profound relationship with, because I came to him with my grief, because I came to him with that pain, because if I didn't, I held that back. I think I would still be, wrestling with God and whatever kind of construct that I, I created for him. So anyways, I, that's kind of how we tie it all together. And, and again, just kind of the one of the ways where I feel like there's so much that I think um, we could learn from one another um, in between Protestant and Catholic traditions. Lee, you're my new hero. <laughs> I thought you might like that one, but it definitely is like one of those kind of things that brings a lot of meaning. And I really wish that, that was more the case uh, across all of the church community. It is if you show up that way in your life. Yeah. And I show up that way in my life. It is. And I agree with you. And thank you for seeing it, for speaking it out loud. When we try to make God, lower God into our image and likeness, we run the risk of him no longer being God. Right. And then guess who becomes God in our own life? Yeah. yeah. Our ego. Yep. But I agree with you that in the Catholic space and tradition, there is an awe and reverence and fear of God that we can never fully understand him. No more than any creature can fully understand its creator. And there's humility there. Yeah. They're saying, God, I, you're too big for me to ever wrap my little human finite brain around. There's a, there's a comforting smallness in that. Yes, right? there is. Um, that brings a lot of peace. Yes, because we don't have to figure it all out. Right, right. He can be our heavenly father and take care of us. And we can rely on him and not ourselves. Yeah. And that is very comforting. It's also very scary. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we, but, but as you said, that's part of what it means to like, not just love God, but to trust him. 100%. That there's, there's terror and fear all there, but if you trust the Lord, then you stay in that space and that's, that's, that's depth. Yes. So this is the intimacy God wants of us, BC Nation. When I married my wife, I was scared, 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 and terrified that I could trust this human being for the rest of my life.
I was, but I took the leap. That's what God wants. Take the leap today from this conversation with Lee. He showed up heroic, transparent, and he shared his raw. He shared his imperfect life with you. BC Nation, have the freedom to share your imperfect life with someone else this week. That's my challenge for you. Take off the mask. Show them what's actually happening behind the curtain of your perfection. Invite them in. Do life with people. We're speaking with Lee Tran. You can find him at watershedinitiative.com, watershedinitiative.com. Lee, uh, before we go into my favorite part of the show, I want to say, BC Nation, if you are struggling in any type of grief, if you're struggling to let people in, you don't know how, you're scared, you're terrified, or you're struggling to fully trust God, You've never actually done it before. You love him. You read about him on paper in the word. But you don't know how to like surrender all these things to him. Then I invite you, go to my website, josephwarren.net, schedule a call with me. God has shown me how to do it. He's given me the tools to do it and come out the other side. I'm not perfect, but I sure have some winning tools that work. And all my clients have miracles in their life. They get transformation in their families, with their spouses, with their kids, with their God. If you want those miracles, schedule a call with me. It's complimentary. I'm going to give you my time. And then we'll see if we want to work together. But stop sitting alone and going through life alone. That's where the enemy wants you. God said it is not good for man to be alone. That means women too. Lee, welcome to my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the confession round. I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three wow. seconds to answer each. Don't oh, overthink gosh. it. It's just for fun. Okay. Are you ready, sir? Yes, sir. What's your favorite thing about God? His bigness. His bigness. Yeah. And that we don't have to be. What's yep. your least favorite thing about God? He is unpredictable. Yeah. I don't like that either. <laughs> What are you most afraid of? Public speaking. Got it. I used to struggle yeah. with that. Now it's yeah. my absolute favorite thing to do. Uh, I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our lives. What are you struggling with right now, personally or professionally? Uh, grace and patience for my aging parents. Got it. Yeah, I hear that. What secret fear do you have about people? Uh, that, gosh, that they are, um, yeah, that there's, they're, they're thinking, uh, yeah, they, that they're thinking that I'm not good at what I do. Yep. That they're running judgment on you, right? What did you spend way too much time doing this past year? That's in the year 2020. You're going to ask me that question in 2020. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I, I always spend way too much time following my Houston Rockets. I, I could, if I could remove that out of the equation, I'd save so much time. Got it. 
What do you wish you had learned sooner about God? That he, that his ways are not our ways. Uh, again, something you say all the time, but I wish I knew that more profoundly. Yeah. What's a new habit you want to create in your life? I'd love to be able to get back into a gym. <laughs> yeah. The personal at home workouts aren't working for me. Yeah. Never worked for me either. Uh, what's a bad habit you'd like to break? Um, red meat. Got it. All right. Pick three words to describe who you are now. Um, at peace. Um, driven and thankful. Sounds like a really good entrepreneur right there. Yeah. At peace, driven and thankful. Pick three words to describe who you were before you surrendered all your grief and loss to God. Ambitious. Um, optimistic and daring. Okay. And last question. If you could come back to life after you died, look your family and friends in the eye and tell your family and friends only one piece of advice about everything, life, death, loss, happiness, joy. What would you say to them? I would say, just wait. Yeah. If my, my hope in heaven is the way I think it is, I'd like to be able to come back to them and say, it's worth the wait. Any final wisdom? What's the one thing you want my listener to know about having deeper relationship with God and actually trusting him to get that versus not? I would say, don't go it alone. Um, there, your thoughts, <clears throat> excuse me, your thoughts can be your worst enemy. Um, if you're left, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, your thoughts can be your worst enemy. If you, if you leave yourself on an island, the enemy will have a field day with you. For sure. And also you run out of supplies eventually. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Uh, what's the best way for BC Nation to get in touch with you if they so choose? Uh, just go to our website, uh, watershedinitiative.com. We've got all our contact information there and just about us. Um, yeah. BC Nation, let's thank Lee Tran together for being on Broken Catholic. I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life, my friend. BC Nation, you cannot show up authentically in your life without building faith in your business. If you want the business side of that conversation, I have another podcast called First 100K, where I interview successful entrepreneurs about how they made their first $100,000, because that's where I believe 90% of you are stuck and you can't break through. Go to first100k.com to find out how. I'm Joseph Warren. You were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day and I'll see you right back here next week.